Well, good morning again. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm grateful that you're with us to receive from the Lord on this Lord's Day. But also, this is the day that we celebrate moms. And so moms, we're grateful for you. But as many of us celebrate, we also recognize that um, for a lot of people, relationship with our moms are um, complicated. And this day isn't always a day of rejoicing. And for more than you would imagine, this is a day of sadness because they want to be and have yet not been able to be moms. And so this is also a day when we recognize that Jesus redeems all things. That Jesus embraces us in our pain and our disappointment and our celebrations. And it's good to come and receive of him. And we didn't plan it this way. Maybe the Holy Spirit did. But this is what Ruth is really about. Ruth is a young lady who her status is complicated. In, in a patriarchal culture where having children was how you validated yourself and brought worth to the community, um, she doesn't know where she's going to be when it comes to all that. And so it's good that we're here in the book of Ruth. We're, wor we're working our way through a series called Strong Old Testament Women. We've been through the book of Esther, and now we're in the book of Ruth. And we've gotten Ruth back to Bethlehem. The book starts out with this family who doesn't know Ruth. They're in Bethlehem. Something bad happens, and instead of repenting, they run and go somewhere else they're not supposed to go. They get there. Their life falls apart. All the men in their life die, and now they have these two Moabite women who are now widows, and the main widow, and they don't know what to do, so she repents. She's going to come home. One of the widows stays, this widow named Ruth comes with her, and so they get their way back to Bethlehem, and now what's going to happen to the Ruth the Moabite, this foreigner, this person who's one of them? You know, we all have a them, right? What are they doing here? We let one of them in? Whatever that means to you, Ruth is that person to Israel. So she confesses faith, though, in Israel's God, and so they don't know what to do with her because she says all the words, but then she's one of them, and this... What's going to happen? And from the perspective of Ruth, she's asking the same thing. I've confessed faith. Will God actually bless me? Will God's people actually receive me? And we see last week we meet this hero. The text calls him a hero, not because he, you know, has got, got, he's ripped and has a sword and everything. No, because he's probably a pudgy middle-aged older guy, but he happens to own land and he's super kind to her. And God calls him a hero because he takes care of her. And this whole chapter that we're in right now is Ruth learning that God is not the Moabite God she grew up with. That Moabite religion was about performance. It was about effort. It was about you extend the effort and maybe, just maybe, you can pry blessing out of that God's hand. There was no grace for the needy, no grace for the lowly, as she is tasted and experiencing something new for the first time. So Ruth is a believer in the God of Israel, but she has to be shown that love by God's people really to get it. So God uses Boaz to demonstrate and confirm his love. So we just kind of met Boaz a little bit last week and this text today is really gonna drive us into this guy. And so if you're asking yourself today, okay, great, Ruth, okay, that sounds like a neat name. Boaz, isn't that something you name an animal or a crane or something? What's a Boaz? Why do I need to know about this? Because many of us Christians, we don't live in the reality of the gospel. We don't live in the freedom of God's complete acceptance of us given to us through the work of Jesus. And so we think we have to work hard, really hard. And so we exhaust ourselves to try to make sure God still likes us. And historical books like Ruth, they concentrate on the people of Israel. They're meant 
for us on this side of the cross, for God talking to us, for God to critique his believers, for God to kind of help us grow to better, maybe let go of this and embrace this more and recognize the reality of our relationship. So Ruth gives those of us who've confessed faith in Christ, Ruth gives us wisdom on how to do that. So if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, that's fine. You kind of have this privilege of watching God critique his people, because just like you, he likes authenticity in his relationships. And so books like Ruth help us grasp a deeper authenticity. And so this week, as we continue in this theme of critiquing God's people and Ruth showing us this way of really embracing the love of God, we see that Ruth is now convinced of God's love. And from that place of security, we're gonna see how she lives in that love even when her life is not ideal. So with that in mind, would you please stand as is our tradition here as we read together Ruth chapter two, verses 14 through 23. It's found for you in the ESV translation on page 10. This is God's word. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us in speech that we might know you, that we might know your truth and know your will and know your ways. So we pray, Lord, that you would indeed open this text up to us, that we might see more of your grace. Open our hearts up to us that we might see more of our hangups and more of our denials of your grace. And by your spirit, Lord, would you bring our hearts and your grace together? We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And please be seated. So our theme for today, I kind of like to wrap everything up in a theme so we know where we're going to go, is this. Is that God's kindness empowers us for real life. God's kindness empowers us for real life. And we see that, we jump right in, we see that Ruth has got some security from kindness. She's been working all morning, she's been doing this thing called gleaning, we really went in depth last week, not gonna go too in depth here, just basically gleaning was a, a, a provision for the poor that it said the harvesters had to leave some behind. 
and those who were willing to could come and they could gather and they could harvest it themselves. God said, I'm the ultimate landowner, not the landowners themselves. So they had to farm the whole field and then there were certain portions they had to leave untouched so the poor could come and they could harvest for themselves. It, it, was, it's a, it was a provision to prevent starvation, but realistically, it's the equivalent of gathering aluminum cans to eat. So you, you could do it, but you probably wouldn't dig it, right? And so Ruth is doing that and we see last week she gets even more and more and more blessed every encounter she has in this field and she meets this man named Boaz. So we'll start out with Boaz in this passage as well. Here's how we jumped in for the kids. Boys and girls, if you're still here, you have your own translation on page 11. And I'm going to look at your verse 14 to start out. Here's how the, the story begins. In the middle of the day, Boaz fed his workers lunch and he invited Ruth to join them, showing everyone she was now part of their team. And when she sat down, he served her lunch and she ate until she was full. So boys and girls, remember back before COVID when you were allowed to sit where you wanted to in the cafeteria and there were certain people you didn't want to sit with because you didn't want them to think that you liked them. And there were certain people you really wanted to sit with because you wanted them to know. Eating together is a big deal. And in the ancient Near East, it was the same way. In fact, it's very significant then and now, not just the ancient Near East, the modern Near East. For Boaz to invite Ruth to join them for a meal was really significant. This is the new girl being invited to sit at the popular table. So those of you who got to sit at the popular table, will you tell the rest of us what it was like someday? Because we, we've always wanted to know. So, and then in the text, Boaz actually serves her the main course himself. In fact, it's a unique word that's used here. It's the, it, it's, it's the idea of what grandma does with the mashed potatoes at, at Thanksgiving. He heaped it on her. He just kept serving her food and she just kept eating. I love how it says she ate until she was full and then she had to get a doggy bag. Now we do that all the time, so like, okay, great. But you have to recognize for most of human history, the, set, the feeling of being full, they never had ever in their entire life. Only the richest of the rich, especially in the ancient world, ever knew what full felt like. And all of a sudden, here's Ruth, she feels full, she can't eat another bite, and so she stuffs some of this roasted grain into, her, into a, a, a doggy bag, I guess. And even more, he publicly announces to his workers, so everybody, so he's publicly done this thing for her, this gesture, and now he makes a speech to go along with the gesture. Let's all look together, uh, verse 15 and 16 for the kids' translation. Here's what he announces to everybody. He says, okay, let Ruth gather grain anywhere she wants, and y'all better be nice to her. In fact, everybody needs to leave a little bit of their harvest for her to pick up and don't bother her when she takes it. So you can tell here, gleaning was a thing, but people didn't really like it when people gleaned. You can tell that they, they were used to picking on them, they were used to harassing them, and he's like, don't, don't do any of that stuff. See, Boaz announces publicly right here, Ruth is one of us. She's been changed from, from a Moabite to family by the grace of God, she's one of us. See, Ruth is like that character from that show many of you watch, Claire. Everybody looks at her and says, she's a Sassanach. And Boaz says, no, 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 she's not an outlander. She's one of the clan, she's one of us now. You see, Boaz had credibility, and Ruth didn't. And so what Boaz did is Boaz literally picked up some of his own credibility, and he gave it to Ruth so she would have credibility. And that is a great example, dear Christians nowadays, on how we need to think about sharing Jesus with our neighbors. 
but with our community. Gone are the days, I'm sorry, don't get mad at me, don't shoot the messenger, gone are the days when the Bible has immediate credibility, when Jesus has immediate credibility, when the church has immediate credibility. We can't just show up, share the facts, and expect a response. Instead, we have to give our credibility that we have from our existing relationships with our neighbors. We have credibility, they know us, and so we actually have to lend Jesus some of our credibility. I know that irks some of me to say it that way, but hear me out, because they don't know Jesus, they don't even respect Jesus, but they know us, and so when they see the fruit of grace in our lives, we have then credibility to actually talk about the reason for that. You know, many of you know, I've moved here from Boston. I'm not from Boston, okay? I actually know how to pronounce an R. Um, but I remember my, you know, when we were there at church planting, and you know, we have five children, four are with us here now. Um, five, she did, was late that morning. We left Boston, so we just left her there. Um, and my neighbor was older. I've told the story before. My neighbor was older, and like most people up there, he waited to have children, and so he was about my age, but his youngest was the same age. His only was the same age as my youngest, and so he would like look at me like, this is crazy. I remember one day he grabbed me. He goes, Sean, how do you do it? I was like, how do, how do I do what? He goes, my one child just drives us crazy. We, we're, we're so busy. We're so overwhelmed. Her stuff is everywhere. It's all about her, and you have five children, and you don't look frazzled. You never seem, you never seem to be undone by having five children. You know, and, and I, I said, because you know, I was a professional church planner at the time, so I was like, well, I said, you know, you just asked me a really personal question, and I mean, the source of my answer is gonna be religious. Is that okay? Because that's how you had to talk up there. And he's like, yeah, what, what do you mean? And so I very quickly, three sentences, shared about how Jesus gives me the strength and I don't worship my kids and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's what I'm talking about. He didn't know Jesus. Jesus didn't really have much credibility to him, but I did. And so like Boaz does for Ruth here, I lent Jesus so my credibility so he could get to know this man. That's what Boaz does for Ruth here. Boaz is a, is a means of God's grace to Ruth in this community. He believes that God's land with God's people should be different, and so he doesn't like it when people are hungry. I mean, think about it. The story here, when's the last time Ruth had a decent meal? See, Boaz knows people shouldn't be hungry in God's land. Things like disease, pain, death, hunger, they should not be. They're not part of the natural world. They're invaders from a biblical perspective. And so Boaz knows there shouldn't be hunger. And so he does what he can to alleviate it, to undo it. Like we saw last week, what God defines as a hero is someone who says, well, God has given me these resources and this influence, so I'm gonna use it to solve this problem right here. That's what Boaz does. It's a foretaste right here in the Old Testament. It's a whiff from the kitchen, an appetizer of the great feast that's coming in Boaz's descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who when he came, he did all these miracles and people like to watch Jesus' miracles and they read about his miracles, but his miracles were not overcoming the natural order. Like we see here in Boaz feeding Ruth, Jesus' miracles were restoring the natural order because hunger and death and disease are not natural. They're invaders into God's creation. And so Jesus said, this should not be, and so he fixed it. One of his more famous miracles, even if you're not a church person, you probably know Jesus feeds the 5,000 with a handful of fish, a little bit of bread. He's not doing it to show off. He's doing it because hunger should not be. 
And so he fixes it. And I love in Luke's uh, version of it, there's no slide for this, in in chapter nine, afterwards, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, it says they ate and they were all satisfied, which is the phrase used here in Ruth. They were full. Jesus filled their belly. See, Boaz's lavish grace to Ruth points us to the lavish grace of Jesus Christ for those of us who have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. Because God's grace comes to the needy. It comes to the downtrodden. It comes to the humble. And he satisfies them with goodness and kindness and forgiveness through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. See, Boaz here doesn't just fill Ruth's stomach. He confirms her to the whole town. Good gossip will spread it. Everybody's gonna know Boaz invited that Ruth to lunch and he actually served her. What, he served one of them? Yeah, I think she's in us now. I don't think you can say that. See, he publicly proclaims her as a member of God's community. So too, dear Christian, this is the status of those of us who trust in Jesus Christ. He makes us his own. He takes us to his father. His father then adopts us. It's almost as if Jesus grabs our hand and says, hey, my dad can be your dad too. And we go from being them to being an us by God's grace. And this story here in Ruth gives us a whiff, a hint of that. Those of us who actually believe the gospel We live in this reality, secured by kindness from God. Which then leads us to the next section here, satisfaction from kindness. So after this lavish lunch, after this public acceptance, Ruth goes to work. I love how the blessing of God doesn't make her lazy. She doesn't sit back and say, okay, it's time to let go and let God. Food's gonna show up, obviously. No, grace empowers her to action. She's empowered to get the most out of God's grace, we could say. You see, dear Christian, when we understand the gospel that we, that we proclaim, when we actually live in the reality of that grace, we're empowered to serve where God has put us. The overwhelming grace of God frees us up from striving for blessing and approval from others, and instead we see we're already blessed, we're already approved, so we can serve faithfully and fruitfully, like Ruth does right here. At the end of the day, She fills a couple five-gallon buckets with barley. That's a lot for a day's work, gleaning especially. I mean, two adults can basically eat well for a month with what she did from one day. And what they don't eat, they can sell. I mean, basically at the end of the day, Ruth walks up to the guy with the clipboard, throws it down and says, hey man, stick that output in today's productivity formula. How's that? And she takes it home to mama. She gives her the doggy bag from lunch as well and says, hey, dinner's on me for like the next month. I mean, when was the last time Naomi had a decent meal? See, and Naomi reacts with shocked thankfulness. Let's look together to the first part of verse 19 in the kids' translation again. It says this, says, where in the world did you get all this? I hope God does good things to the man who helped you. Ruth explains what happened. She tells where she was. She says, hey, it's Boaz. And when Naomi hears that, she calls out verse 20 in the regular ESV. Let's look at verse 20 on page 10. She says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. He's one of our redeemers. There's that word again, kindness. For those of you who are here, remember, I've taught you some Hebrew words with Ruth. The first week in Ruth we learned shuv, right, which is to turn, to return, or repent. Next week we learned the, the word 
chesed, it's kind of fun because you get to do that, you know, Middle Eastern flim thing, <laughs> chesed. It means we can't translate it with one word, so we use the word loving kindness. It means all the good stuff God can give you. Everything good he can squeeze out of the idea of love and kindness and grace is right there. And there's this word again, it says Boaz has shown this to us because Boaz is a conduit for God bringing this to us. Naomi wishes this kindness upon Ruth and Orpah when she says goodbye to them. She assumes none was for her. If you remember the second part of chapter one, there's no kindness in God left for me. Maybe you can have some because she believes God's out to get her. And now she says, God's no longer out to get me. God has shown kindness. I finally have some. And then verse 20 has that other word, redeemer. That's a big word in the Bible, isn't it? But not right here. This is actually a non-spiritual, let's call it economic use of the word. It's strictly in this idea of Boaz being a redeemer is complete economics. It's redemption is buying back something which had been lost. Our, our best analogy we have is a pawn shop. When you, when you need some money, you take something to a pawn shop, they give you a, a, some money for it, and they hold it for you, and after a time, if you can get the money, you go and you give them that money back plus interest, and you redeem that item back from them. That's what Boaz is here. It's an economic term, but it basically means he's a potential source of hope. There's more going on there. He could be a way out of poverty if he would. See, Ruth and Naomi here recognize the blessing, the provision of God. They're no longer striving for security in husbands. They're at peace. They're seeing God's hand at work and they're rejoicing in that. So the security of kindness, it empowers our satisfaction in kindness. We can rest in that kindness and it leads to a stability in kindness. See, all of a sudden in verse 21, Ruth understands. She's like, oh, Boaz is a relative, okay. She's marveling that God guided her right to a kind relative. And there's a crazy reminder here about kindness that we miss. Note how suddenly She's Ruth the Moabite again in verse 21. After having been accepted back in, after having been no, proclaimed she's one of us, now we, all of a sudden the text says she's the Moabite again. It seems odd. It seems out of place. Except that it happens to be right around the use of that word redeemer. Because it reminds an original reader in a way that you and I just, we, unless we know this, we, we would never know this, but it's fascinating to see this an original reader would pick this up, there's no legal requirement to redeem a foreigner. So all this grace that God has set up for his regulations in the, in the nation of Israel, redemption of, of a relative's property was one of them. Ruth doesn't qualify for any of that. The author's reminding her she's a Moabite. So she may have confessed faith, all that, but legally, there were plenty of loopholes for Boaz, is the point. He could keep his crop if he wanted. He wouldn't have to help her in any way, his obligations as the redeemer. But Boaz is a different kind of man. He's a hero in God's eyes. He's a covenant hero committed to serving God where he is with what he has. Let me ask you something. What do you think of when you think of God? That's a big question, I know. But at, it, at the core, like what kind of person, if I can put it that way, is God? Is, is he an aloof 
taskmaster? Is he always looking for loopholes to avoid being kind to you? When good things happen, do you have this default mode, oh, this isn't gonna last, something bad's about to happen. So many of us in church world, for some reason, we have this idea of God as this aloof, mean taskmaster. And and those of us who've been around a while, we have this weird idea that God sits there and he's stern, he's always like this kind of glaring, and it's Jesus who's kind and gentle and meek and mild. It's Jesus who's always like, Father, be gentle. Father, be kind. Father, remember the gospel. That Jesus is the good one, and God's kind of like good cop, bad cop thing. And that's not accurate. The kindness of God produced the gospel. The kindness of God made the gospel God's idea. It was by grace that God the Father and God the Son agreed by the Spirit to to redeem people out of humanity. God is a God of love. Now we have to recognize that we have a confession of sin because we recognize we're sinners, but does that mean that our failures overcome God's love? That our, because of our failures, God is somehow going to shun us and look for loopholes because, oh, you blew it. So many of us live that way. Let this picture of Boaz's kindness here take you to Boaz's God who empowers his kindness. God shows himself to be extravagantly kind. He's not you remember back from 10th grade literature class way long, he's not Silas Marner hoarding his coins. He's not Silas Marner hoarding his grace, right? He's lavish, he's extravagant with us. He doesn't take pleasure in the pain of his creatures, but rather paying the price himself. He redeems his people out of their weaknesses and out of their trials. See, Naomi finally gets that. She's gone through ridiculous trials. She confessed, I don't think there's any kindness left for me in God, but he's still my God. And now God has been kind to her, and she gets it, and she confirms for Ruth that God is kind, that God's grace is here and now. Look with me at verse 22. What does she say? Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. Be assaulted. Maybe this is a dangerous time to be a woman. Be careful. Probably true, but that's not exactly the idea there in the text. It's not quite that active in the original. It's more the idea of come to harm. And then there's that, there's that phrase in there in another field. Remember, if you, if you were here for the very first chapter, remember what happened is Naomi recognized where she was. She recognized that she'd messed up. And the text says, she repented, remember, from the fields of Moab. So what's going on here, the picture the writer wants us to see, it's not so much, be careful, you might be assaulted. Naomi is saying, this is where God is working. This is God's place. These are the fields of the Lord, and don't do what I did and go to other fields and come to harm. Saying, you stay right here where God is blessing you, lest in another field you come to harm. Don't abandon God's blessings. See, Naomi gets it. Naomi recognizes, I messed up, and God has redeemed my mistake. He's overcome my mistake. Don't miss the blessing of the Lord, as Naomi's telling Ruth. You stay right here where God has put you. You know, our media, our, our culture, our, our economy, um, 
inside the church and outside the church, we don't, we don't do contentment, do we? We don't do just stay here and enjoy God's blessing, do we? So go more, conquer more, be more, get more, do more. But so often, God's blessing is right here, right where he's already put you, doing what he intends for you to do. Don't miss out on God's blessing right here, looking for the better over there. Naomi tried that, remember, in chapter one. Let's look together at the kids' version of verse 22. Says on page 11, it says this, says, yes, do that, dear daughter. Don't bring harm to yourself as I did by going to other fields. See, boys and girls, Naomi is giving Ruth parental advice. Do your parents ever give you parental advice? Here's how I would do it, or here's how you should do. Well, you know what? I'll tell you a secret. Just like your parents, Ruth, or excuse me, Naomi is giving advice from a place where she failed, where she messed up, where she blew it. And most of the time when your parents are giving you advice, it's because they've been in the situation and they messed up. (laughs) And they love you and they want to stop you from making the same mistake. And that's exactly what Naomi does for someone she loves here. Don't mess up like I did. And Ruth listens to her mama. She spends the next two months in the fields of Boaz. If she's even as close to being as productive on the rest of those days as she is on day one, they'll have more than enough food for the whole year until next harvest. It's an amazing provision. But it isn't all positive. The text ends in verse 23 with, and she lived with her mother-in-law. It's kind of weird. Those of you, you know, who are sons-in-laws, you're like, oh, that's bad news, Right? Why does the text state the obvious like that? What's going on? That just seems very odd because it's after two months and it's still just the two of them. There's no husband yet for Ruth and in a patriarchal culture, there's no status without that. There's still one big need in Ruth's life. God has been good, but it hasn't been easy and it's still not ideal, but Ruth has learned that God's kindness empowers us for real life. Because in real life, things aren't ideal, are they? So as we wrap this up, you know, Naomi and Ruth entered Bethlehem at the start of the barley harvest, which is April, May. It lasts typically for about 50 days until the, what's called the Feast of the First Fruits when all that's been brought in. They have a big party and they're gonna live for another year because you know, there weren't like grocery stores. You had to get your food at harvest time and then hope you had enough for the rest of the year. So they, they, at the end of the harvest, they had this big party because yes, we're gonna live. It's called the Feast of First Fruits. And during those 50 days, God lavished and lavished his grace upon these two women. He confirmed his love for them and he established them in his new life, of course, of this 50 days. And then for those of us on this side of the New Testament, the timing of this takes us to the gospel. Because the harvest also begins in the Jewish calendar at Passover. And the Lord Jesus Christ was killed and resurrected during Passover. And then when all the people came back 50 days later, they were gathered again in Jerusalem for the Feast of First Fruits, what the Greek-speaking Jews would call 
Pentecost from the Greek word for 50. On that day, Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit upon his people, confirming his grace, lavishing grace upon them, confirming his love and establishing them in the new life. What Boaz does, what God does through Boaz is just a tiny picture of what Jesus ultimately does for us. Look at Boaz incredible, costly generosity to Ruth. He basically gave her a year's worth of food from his own crop for two people, not just one. He lavished kindness on her. He went out of his way for her, even serving her himself. And let that picture of Boaz take you to his descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it remind you of how loving and kind our get. He doesn't just allow us by grudging admission to glean in his field and kind of give us a little bit of grace. Here, fine, I'll be kind. I guess I said I would. No, God gives himself in kindness. He gave us his only son to redeem us. He lavishes kindness upon us in the gospel. God's not aloof. He's not stodgy. He's not out to get us. He's extravagantly kind to us. Oh, dear Christian, let his kindness wash over you. And to non-Christians here, where is your security today? What is the anchor for stability in your life? Do you have peace? Or are you striving, anxious in a difficult life that has trials like real life does? The extravagant kindness of God can't solve all your problems. I'm not going to say that. I'm sorry for people like in pulpits who have. But the extravagant kindness of God can give you resources for dealing with real life, the triumphs and the challenges. You can have those resources. Even now, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as he's offered in the gospel. And you can have that. He will forgive you, and by his blood, he will lavish kindness on you. He will give you peace, and he will bring you into God's family. And from that place of stable acceptance and kindness, you will find immense resources for being the kind of person deep down you wish you were. Oh, even now, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And don't wait. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, your kindness is too much. We read things like this and we think, yeah, that was a long time ago. Lord, would you help our unbelief? We're so needy that we can't even accept the bread you offer without your help. We're so grateful that in your kindness you've given the bread of life, your only son, Jesus. So Lord, we ask that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up, proclaimed as crucified for sinners and raised to make people your family, that you would be true to your promise that as he is lifted up, you would draw all people to him. Oh, Father God, bring your grace and build your kingdom. Even now we ask in Jesus' name, amen.